narrator, now there seems to be, there are lots of different narrators, lots of different narrators perhaps at different points in history. Um, I can't think of many novels that I've read so far that have uh, quoted or cited um, Nikki Minaj, who's I always pronounce her, is that how you Nikki pronounce Minaj. Nikki yeah. Minaj, yeah. yeah. She's not been in many novels I've read so far, um, but also have allusions to Kurt Vonnegut, and mm-hmm. there are all sorts of references. How much of your own life were you, were you bringing into this novel? I was... No, well, the work declares itself a work of fiction. <laughs> So has your mother read it? And, uh, no, she's, she's read it, she's read it, my dad's read it, and they both were very relieved there was no sex scene. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought, that's all that concerns you know, I should actually go back and add a chapter. <laughs> well, the, 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 the remix um, yeah, version. Yeah, but I think, yeah, this is a very conscious kind of storytelling and... Um, And you, were t- you talked about this a little bit earlier, about nice, sort of nostalgic, perhaps mm. sentimentalised. Mm-hmm. Again, perhaps the books that do well in mm-hmm. nice middle-class readers across the, across the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but did you feel those sort of limits? And is, was that, again, the sort of thing that you wanted to sort of smash to pieces, to show a very... There is this feel like there's a new, interesting tradition of, of Indian writing, which is starting to come out, which perhaps, you know, something like Adiga started, um, mm-hmm. Chet. Tejpal, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. a much angrier, wilder kind of mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, writing, which feels less interested by colonial past and much more interested by um, Indian politics. Um. No, I don't think it's just it's as simple as, you know, yeah, we rejected the colonial past and now we are happy because, as you see, the story is uh, hugely refers to Nagapatinam and Tanjore's colonial past and in ways in which... Um, which I think are really, really tied down to history and not necessarily in a very oppressive way because uh, um, it's it's quite, it's a, I don't know, it's it's how you play it, isn't it? Because, uh, you know, it's, it's quite easy to say, yeah, the British oppressed us. Yes, they did. But then we, we suddenly, you know, free citizens. No, I think the Indian independence was a huge sham in the sense that it, it was not a revolutionary independence struggle, you know. The British just went out, and then the who took power in in their place it was this, you know, same feudal people, and uh, the Congress was, as you see, a party of the feudalists. The DMK again, which grew out of the progressive movement, was another feudalist organization. You know, whoever didn't find uh, enough for their, to fuel their ambition in the set up of the Congress or decided the Congress was very Brahmin dominated, decided to move to these other parties. So I think the the idea of, you know, any kind of that kind of a very clear cut division between colonial, post colonial, I think I would certainly reject that because what exactly has the post colonial given you in terms of uh, you know, in terms of who, who is still overlording you? Who's? What about the power structures? What about the landlessness? What about the politicians? Whose um, whose uh, spokespersons are they? Whom do they represent? And all of this. So, uh, I don't think you know it was consciously rejecting any of those. Uh, okay. Yeah. But there was it's, not, it's, it's not preoccupied with them, or it's not even, in fact, preoccupied with other Indian fiction writers. Because if if I'm preoccupied with them, I will go and write an essay about them or something. Right. Or, but I do know that I certainly don't want to be doing most of what is being done there. Yeah. Can, can I ask about writing in English mm-hmm. and the what that means for you and the challenge again, the challenge of that, or or how that fits into mm-hmm. perhaps the aesthetic of the novel, and uh, did that help? 
and, and how that helped to, sh- to, to shape the, the, the way you chose to tell, tell the story? Um, well, I think, uh, you know, when you're really writing in the... Like, for instance, I just this morning I was talking to James, the editor, and I was saying, like, when you're writing, for instance, um, the book is very, at least try to be clever in avoiding dialogue. Because how are you... It's going to sound so fucking weird to me if I was going to have, you know, Tamil landless labourer, 1968, mm. speaking in English, mm. you know to somebody and saying yes sir I will do it or no I reject you in that sense so you have to work around the question which conversation has to happen but not dialogue because reported dialogue would sound so stilted and out of place and you just do not you know cannot translate it because even if it's a translation it's not the same is it so you have to you know come around these kinds of uh, you know quirky places whereas you know a landlord's speech his conversation that's very oppressive speech whether he speaks in Tamil or in English so you can get the tenor there but what exact for instance like if untouchable laborers were speaking they were not even supposed to look into the eye of the landlord their eyes were supposed to be downcast so how are you even going to bring this whole register of not just the language but the body language that had to accompany it so I think you know telling the story in this in this manner you know all these digressions all these other extra commentary all this research helps you put into much more perspective than just leaving two people out there and telling them to say their lines, you know. I think that's orphaning them or abandoning them. I I don't want to abandon the characters like that. I would rather, you know, let the reader know much more. So that's one thing. And um, uh, where was I? Yeah, in terms of writing in English, I think I was uh, slightly unfortunate because I studied in a school where I learned only English and Hindi. And my Hindi, uh, which was run by the central government, so... My Hindi is really nowhere good for me to write in it. So I learned more Hindi watching Bollywood than I learned from 12 years of schooling. <laughs> so so the only other language, and I never learned that. I translate from Tamil, it's my mother tongue. I speak it really well, I understand and all. But uh, I never have the confidence to write in Tamil, not at all, because I do think that you have to be educated in a very literary manner to be able to explore your potential to the fullest or the potentials of the language to the fullest. And when you don't, uh, you're not, as, you know, at, le- at least, you know, educated in the sense of at least read a lot, mm. because I don't believe in conventional academic wisdom either, but still you should read really a lot to know what the language can do, what other writers have done. So I... I was unsure of how much we could have done that in Tamil and then this was a story that was to be told to a much bigger audience anyway. With English I think uh, when the edits came up that's when I realized all the holes in my universe because for instance uh, I was referring to somebody as uh, his brother's son because that's how that's the Tamil word or you know it's somebody's a brother's son or a sister's son and then the editor's like goes there and puts nephew and I'm like Oh, yes, I know this English word. I have seen it before. <laughs> they thought that's in school, but you just don't relate to something like that because even if that word exists and the person exists, there is no equivalent word. So you would always be in your mind referring to them as, you know, the brother's son or the sister's son. And that's, sort of, that's built in to the novel, that idea of translation, that there are yeah. these moments of... There are these gaps. But also for the reader, as you were saying earlier, which was fascinating, and I did, I did feel that, which is sometimes I, you approach a novel, whether it's by Marquez or Kundra or, 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 or by you, which is 
you almost feel that you should know much more about you know, Czechoslovakia in, in 1965. Mm-hmm. Um, and you forget to feel that alienation if you've grown up in somewhere com- completely different. We feel we should sort of somehow mm-hmm. automatic global. And I quite like that there was actually there's a, there's a um, wonderful passage, which have I written it down? In my annotated book, I was going to ask you about. Um, yeah, where... Um, in the midst of the struggle and the starvation, there are songs. Don't be blind, open your eyes, don't be meek, speak out. Mm-hmm. And there's a wonderful book. You say these, these songs don't work in translation. They are here only to remind the reader that the historical events of this novel did not take place in any English-speaking country. Don't you even try to get familiar with what goes on around here, for it is not only the sounds of my native land that you will find staggering. And it was almost... Is that a sense what you were just talking about, about the idea of writing and, tra- and translation and also... Yeah, but this was this was you know. See, I am a poet. I am a translator, and I am from Tamil. So the thing is, what I'm trying to say is, even in spite of the way I'm trying to convey, because I've you know I know how poetry would work in English. Fine, I know how to translate. You know, like really get the best meaning and put it there. That's fine. But still, it just doesn't convey what the Tamil song would convey because the Tamil song is something that you know <laughs> you want to t- take arms and fight or something like that. So, so the way I read it out probably wouldn't work. Very well. No, 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 no. For me, the idea was that it's 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 another it's another universe, and we just we can you know understand, look at it, but how familiar can we get to, get to it? And I think it's even see well, it's going to be twice alienating for an English reader, but. For somebody who speaks Tamil or understands better, like I left a lot of Tamil words in one of the chapters, right? I think that would be a kind of in-joke, for instance, yeah. There are a lot of these in-jokes that only Tamil readers would get, but that's fine. Even if it's going to be two and a half Tamil readers, fine. Let let them get the benefit of the in-jokes and the jokes that only would work in Tamil. There's a there's a bit about when women uh what is it about when women protest. Isn't the fourth chapter seasons of violence or something? I got I go mad with my stickers. I was wondering about is that part of the radical I was wondering part of the radical nature of the the narrative, the aesthetic, Mm -hmm. was that to narrate voices which are perhaps excluded from not just from Indian literature, but from Indian life, from Indian culture, that to try and represent these women's voices who were, even within perhaps the uh, untouchable culture, were even less heard. Mm-hmm. As you were saying, there's a kind of silence in mm-hmm. Indian culture that you wanted to, to give give voice to. Was Is that going too far to say that you're trying, the radical nature of, of the way you told this story was to give those completely forgotten voices no I don't think you know I'm having this you know board saying yeah I'm giving voices to the voiceless or something like that because that sounds like you know you're a messiah or you're a mahatma or you're trying to change someone's life or something I think that it's not about me giving them voice but as much as me getting inspired by the militancy or by understanding that they have been standing up to this kind of a system you know like people without the benefit of a university education, you know, middle class bringing up, people without any of the safety nets that, you know, we take for granted. And then you look at them and then you realize that, what am I doing? Why am I just sitting? Why, why, am, I, why am I not, you know, fighting? Why am I not, you know, doing something? So I think they inspire me. I would in no way say I'm giving voice to them. I think they are giving me courage. So 
and this is something that i repeatedly observe so these are not people whom i want to you know i think there's a line somewhere in the book it says the more you infantilize them the more they treat you like a child this when you the, the narrator visits <laughs> the, village. the village yeah and i think there's no way in which you're going to say okay you're the this the i'm going to say your story to the world but i'm saying you're so heroic and there's no way i just want to you know slow clap when i watch you have done all this and i think all of them should you know join me all of us should be enthused so you know if kilman mani can do this i think we can do much more than you know just occupy for instance you know each of us can challenge these things and as a collective we can do so much more so was that uh, how they inspire me yeah is that part of that sort of anxiety about how do you represent their voices without in any way sounding patronizing mm-hmm. or is it is that is, is that what you're trying to say is that no uh, or just to give it that no i'm making it very clear that uh, that i'm not voicing the voiceless as much as i'm just being inspired that's by them question. and uh, you know like the militancy so that's one thing and the second thing is that this whole fear of patronization would come only if i thought i was in a powerful position to actually okay. you know patronize or something and i'm certainly not in a position you know what i mean can i ask about this and, and perhaps about the the portrayal of women and the treatment of women within in mm-hmm. in the novel um that this does feel a provo- a provocation in a way a mm-hmm. sort of and, and and as you say that this is how the season of protest began this to tell the story it needed that kind of provocation i mean it, people will read cunt and countries and um no because i think the whole idea of nationalism all of that you know even though i would be with lenin on self determination i think the whole idea is like what what is the space you give women you talk about self determination for a nation but do women have self determination mm-hmm. so the whole idea of the country or the continent and i think there's so much of politics being played on you know women's bodies in, in like look at the look at this whole novel in, in terms of you know the abuse that they're forced to go the kind of you know violence that's visited you know like on the bodies and i i don't know i think so much of the revolution just decides to you know put women, you know it's very easy to not take women seriously but you know using a word like cunt or using a word like slut slut is not in the book but is is um, it's not only provocative because uh, you know the word for cunt in sanskrit is yoni which is also the word for caste because you look at uh, into the um, into the into the proper sanskrit dictionary and the yoni has all these meanings so i had actually have a whole poem about it on how you know they just they're regimenting the body and actually transposing caste right into you know your your cunt or whatever so uh, in a, in a sense yeah i am provocative from the outside if that's a, because these are things that should be spoken about and if the only way i'm going to get you to speak about it is to you know be so in your face horrible and provocative and uh, repulsive that you're going to somehow i'm going to get because i think the problem is not the problem of opposition the problem is the problem of silence you know the the failure to acknowledge that any of this exists the, the hypocrisy of you know acknowledgement so if i have to disturb the silent spaces then i would have to word, use words like that so uh, you know f- even if these words are so called objectionable or something like that and what is sort of repulsive in the novel and i think it's what you handle very well but in a very different tone is when you give the um in a very almost bureaucratic factual tone you give the uh what was going on in my head you give the is list, list count of the dead the yes. list of the dead and it's an extraordinary piece of writing because it's the opposite it's pared down absolutely factual there's a mixture of on the one hand defacement mm-hmm. 
mm. um, and and the and the subtle way that you give information often of children um, because they're just by their height mm. and the sense of defaced bodies, but also a strange sort of um, focus on genitals, I guess, to dis- decide gender, mm-hmm. um, and it seemed to play off, and that that seemed to be the result of violence was a sort of utter. No, I dis- think James, that's the, that's part of the I think the inhumanity of a bureaucracy, isn't it? So, because when I was researching this book, there would be so much that would come to me and, you know, like, to decide to say every story, like, you know, the, how do you say the story of the fire, like, you ch- I choose a child witness because this is the man who is going to grow up and come back and, you know, take revenge. So, what does he see? What makes him wait those many years to actually kill the landlord? Mm. So... Uh, so this is this is something that's imprinted on him or uh, who are you going to choose to say you know this part of the story about Gopalakrishna Naidu's involvement it's another man who gets you know involved in the crime so he speaks non-stop and he tells this journalist all that he knows and all that he has seen and he's recreating the events of the day and then you have to you know for everything you choose this or you or even about burning the bodies and you talk about everything. So when you choose a register and you know, you're, you're looking at, you interview people and you also look at documents, you look at the judgment and then you look at this. So to the law, this is what it means, isn't it? It just means, yeah, presence of visible female genitalia, mm. uh, charred corpse not uh, identifiable, no gender known. So this is exactly how they were looking at this. And I think it's not just about their death. It's just how we look at death in general, how we look at killings in general, how how we so, you know, it's one thing for machinery to take up, but how do we become so mechanized about human deaths? And how do we, you know, do this? I think this is the first, you know, extreme dehumanization going on there. It's this whole, I understand the need for depersonalization, but this whole dehumanized, you know, treating people like, and these are all, you know, objects. This, this is exactly how it was. It would be listed down, and uh, I thought that was, that was, you know, so perverted because you're. I think at that point, this is where the policeman would totally, you know, lose any. He would be alienated from himself, wouldn't he? If he had to make up that kind of a list mm-hmm. where this is all the dead mean to you. you know, so I think for me, that kind of a format it showed not only just what. It showed, you know, okay, flaws of police procedure, the way judiciary would actually treat deaths instead of, you know, sitting up and boiling up over it. But it also shows you how, you know, how it's it's a step-by-step iteration. Also, how the entire system actually looked at them. For them, the dead in Kilven money were just this. And I think that language is very telling, yeah, in, in, in that sense, this is exactly how they do all post-mortem reports. I'm not telling them to write poetry after mm-hmm. a death, but still... You know, it's sometimes it's good to remind yourself that you know that we are dealing with life, and I think at some point we just stop doing that. I, I think it's what I meant is that somehow the pared down mm-hmm. voice made made these acts more shocking, and mm-hmm. then the way that also that you report afterwards mm-hmm. the. The way that the disposal, the cremations mm. of the bodies, was was actually just a problem. You know, it was a, a problem to be solved yeah, for the yeah, police yeah. police officer, and that these people's lives mm. were just an obstacle. And yeah. for you, though, that's that has a wider political that you're making a political point or a wider social point about the, the way these, the, yeah, yeah, these yeah. people's lives as well as their deaths were treated. Yeah, it's it's one about life. It's one about uh, the dehumanisation, and then the other is about the entire bureaucratic procedure because. Uh, everything becomes so procedural you know and i think uh, nobody in you know in the larger world is actually because i think that we need to be organized and efficient but 
aren't we falling into the culture of preparing a report about everything reports about preparing the report you know and and when 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 it when, when it becomes like that like if you read i think you know any ngo document on project you know what happens in haiti or what happens in sri lanka you don't know you're actually dealing with blood that you know it's you're dealing with bombing because yeah. that's how clinical it has become and i think yeah the police is, is not doing anything better and yeah, it's, it's very stark it's very stark because on one hand and this is a document that yeah ordinary people never see in fiction for instance that's also another thing you know part of the shock value is that yeah and we on the other hand as writers you know when we describe the dead we are like oh <laughs> we put so much blood and gore into it yeah. so So there's a danger that perhaps links to what we were talking about about the dangerous sensationalizing mm-hmm. that you don't you want this to be just this yeah. how do you retain the humanity of these people when there's such large numbers 42 42 plus 2 yeah 42 plus 2 mm-hmm. people died and there's a there's that awful thing that happens as you say when you hear about bombings wherever it is in mm-hmm. across the world that the numbers become almost meaningless mm. the, the, the in fact the bigger they get to some extent maybe it's easier almost when one person dies because mm. you can relate to that when mm. you hear was that a challenge again to how do you capture and maintain the the full horror that these are 42 uh, lives some relatively old but often you know, no many only five old men everybody else was, was women and children and, yeah. ch- and very yeah. very young but you know yeah 23 children i think and 19 women yeah, yeah. No, I'm not sure I would say it's it's, it's a challenge because uh, there are only certain things that you know your internal I'm not sure it's a sensor but your you will do you know like so you know like if it's a death in your own family you're dealing with so how do you write about it and how much restraint you would be and it's also about um, you know clearly nobody is performing for the public in terms of the deaths or you know their private lives so so much of the private life is, is just not you know played out because somebody's for to satisfy let's say the readers curiosity but it's very in that sense very mellow and uh, can I ask about the readers curiosity and, and again this idea of the real events and then the novel that as you say um certain things happen in the novel uh we you there's a wonderful passage where you get inside the head of the um uh the leader um which is Gopal Krishna Naidu yeah, yeah yeah the landlord yeah there's almost a sort of horror of slightly being being anywhere mm. being anywhere near him or certainly a, a sort mm. of a sort of flesh crawling revulsion mm. um but you just referred to to there's a a plot through where where he's um killed and we 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 when it seems as this act of a revenge I was only how how much did you stick to the facts of how much of this actually did happen exactly as as when how much is the story uh linking together or is that for us to kind of well, should, should I give away the <laughs> No we shouldn't press I should leave the area uh, again <laughs> No should I give away the book's ending No, no I think that uh, yeah well the, the, yes there is a beheading yes there's of course a beheading that took place and that's that's what the postmortem says but um, Do we know who did it or is is it a... uh, Yeah oh, I think okay. uh, Nandan goes to jail and okay. he's the little boy from the story yeah. but of course there were nexalites involved Uh, and that, that they were actually waiting for him okay. to have surrendered his weapon because this comes in the first chapter doesn't it they wait for this week of disarmament when you know all the landlords have to you know give away their you know licenses to the police and then um, 
so he he doesn't have his his dog is not with him his gun is not with him he's alone so they've been waiting it's harvest season and because you're home he's on his way back home from anakudi and then he's you know killed on the way so but uh, see this is where it is you know you hear rumors of beheading you hear rumors of 44 parcels each wrapped in palm fronds sent to the people i think the story of the palm front was something that nobody in kilvenmani accepted but my father who's also from tanjore says this was the first story that he heard so the fact is that you know i think the immediate next line is you shouldn't believe all that you hear and you shouldn't tell all that you believe so the fact is that you know he's just this couple of uh, you know like 50 60 miles away he's in his native place and this is the story that reaches him which means you know like people like to add it add to their own versions you know like it it makes them feel better so he's been killed yeah but <laughs> you know this kind of extra gore this kind of uh, you know okay the satisfaction uh, that that people uh, at least the working class people how do they rejoice in his death so so it become does it start to edge to becoming something like a myth um this is how it's, eventually it's a, it's a, it's a, it's, a, it's a kind of myth yeah it's a kind of myth and what what exactly was how exactly was he killed because he was killed that's factual the date is factual of course but we december 1980 yeah